Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And welcome to our second and new sponsor, Jaguar. We'll talk more about their partnership later in the series. But for now, you can visit jaguar.co.uk for more product information. Hello and welcome to the third Attitude Heroes podcast. I'm Matt Kane, Editor-in-Chief of Attitude, and I hope you're enjoying listening to this series of interviews as much as I'm enjoying making them. We're doing the series to mark the fact that it's now 50 years since the laws that affected gay men in England and Wales started to change, as the government began to decriminalise homosexuality. I say it again though, these podcasts aren't history lessons, they're simply a chance for us to enjoy the company of some of the most talented and interesting gay men we know, and to understand how their experiences have shaped them. My guest today has perhaps done more than anyone else to put realistic gay characters on our TV screens. He burst into our lives with the filthy, frank and utterly gripping Channel 4 drama Queer as Folk before writing shrewd and thought-provoking shows such as Bob and Rose and Cucumber. But he's perhaps best known for his success in rebooting Doctor Who for a new generation of viewers. He is Russell T. Davis. And trust me, he can talk. I recently spent a lovely couple of hours at Russell's home in Manchester, where he told me about creating gay characters with real depth. Our lives, our dramas, our stories were becoming entirely written with illness. And, you know, I have, I'm not dismissing what happened with HIV and AIDS for a second. I've lost friends through all that. I lived through those, those years. But actually, you have to say we're not just that. And we were in danger of being just that. About tackling difficult subjects head on. I think I'm more of a political writer than a gay writer sometimes. Like, even in Doctor Who, every episode in Doctor Who, every season of Doctor Who, I killed the Prime Minister or blew up 10 Downing Street or did something like that. I never left it alone because... Being gay makes you so politically aware, whether you like it or not. And, of course, about writing for the Doctor. It's an extraordinary lead character who doesn't have a job. He hasn't got a boss saying, have you stopped those Daleks yet, Doctor? No, I'll do, I'm busy. He doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't pay taxes. He doesn't live anywhere. He just wanders the universe, and every time he opens that door, it's an adventure. Don't you wish life was like that? There's the old rude word here and there, but I hope that won't put you off listening to what is a fascinating conversation. In fact, if you're anything like me, I suspect it'll only whet your appetite further. So, with that in mind, let's crack on. Russell, thanks for having us. Thanks Hello. for having us here in Manchester. Pleasure. Welcome to my palace. <laughs> well, your palace. I'm loving the Daleks yeah. on the shelves and the Queer as Folk poster on the wall. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Memorabilia. TV memorabilia. That's my life. <laughs> so this is where it all happens then. This is where you come up with the ideas that it, lead to the memorabilia. It is, I suppose. Queer as Folk was written in this house. I moved in here in about 1996. So, yes, everything I've done since then was written in this house. Queer as Folk oh, was written what? in this house. I know, I know. 
That's fantastic. All so, the stories that created Queer's Folk happened in this house. That's oh, even really? Better. Actually, Queer's Folk <laughs> was filmed in this house. Um, uh, you remember the episode three where the man drops dead of the uh, drug overdose? Yes, absolutely. Here we are, that kitchen there. They painted the whole house red. This is great for podcasters. You can see all this so visually. <laughs> it's white, uh, by the way, at the it, moment. It was here in this room that they shot all that. Flipping heck. And Never you- let a film crew into your house, let me tell you that. There are like things you never find again. I don't mean they nick things. I mean like that that restaurant from that Chinese takeaway that you really love, never seen again, all tidied away, oh, really? put into boxes and, and oh, never But allowed. also the fact that in those days they had the budgets to completely redecorate the kitchen. Oh, those were the days, that's very true. Yes, yes, I don't yes. think that happened. No, <laughs> you wouldn't get that. And filmed at night, you wouldn't get that anymore. Happy days. Anyway, so let's go back to those happy days. Let's go back to Queer as Fault. Let's start with a big one. Straight in. Straight yeah. in there. And actually, speaking of straight in there, I remember watching it at the time and the old opening scene really was straight in there. <laughs> you had Nathan, who was 15, oh my being God. rimmed <laughs> by 29-year-old Stuart, who then shagged him and then dropped him off at the school gates the next morning. It does lead to some remarkable conversations. You know, one of my favourite <laughs> things in life now is that, yes, this happened to me yesterday. I, meet, I met a producer, director who's 28 years old, who happily sit there in broad daylight and tell me to my face in an office that they've masturbated to my work. That's <laughs> quite an accolade. I think I actually love it. And if they're very good looking, it's a very good story. <laughs> tell me. But it's very strange. It, people are quite open about saying it to me. It's like, okay, fine, thanks. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? I'm trying to think now whether or not I masturbated to queer as fuck, but I certainly was turned on. I mean, that was... We've gone straight there, haven't we? We've gone Hello, straight Matt. in the... <laughs> One of my first questions about rimming, but um, but it was like, but it was like you really wanted to hit everybody with a bang. I mean, you you can't tell me that you weren't intentionally trying to do that with that opening sequence. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. It's it's yeah, yeah. It's very deliberate and and very and very craftily chosen. A lot of work went into that. It, one of the interesting things about that is there are very specific TV guidelines about the portrayal of sex, and for example, genital to genital contact is forbidden to be shown. Rimming isn't that. It's 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 ah. a part. Of what, it's it's not genital to genital. So actually, it's allowed. And and it's more than that. It's it's it's. It, I didn't just do it to on a technicality to skip through guidelines. I literally wanted to show a form of sex that Nathan hadn't even imagined as a fifteen-year-old boy. He will have been wanking away to his heart's content, imagining having sex with men. But never imagining that, I think. I think I think then, certainly in 1998... Pre-internet. Yes, you wouldn't have known that was on the radar, exactly, having well, not even seen the porn. So um, I think I was about... I must be about five, ten years older than Nathan. I'd never heard of rimming at yes, the time. Yes, yes, yes. You so know. it was literally something that would blow his mind, quite literally. I mean, physically, mentally that was happening, and I wanted something physically outside his imagination to happen. There was a whole... This opening sequence, there was a whole kind of... Um, it suddenly became a big tabloid thing. There were all the complaints to Ofcom. The sponsor, Beck's Beer, mm. dropped the show. But it was a massive hit with viewers, a massive hit with yes, viewers, yes, and is. got everybody talking. So how did you feel about all those different things that were going on? I would like to say I just shrugged it all off. It was a rocky time. I remember when the sponsors pulled out Beck's Beer, the, and there was a lot of meetings with Channel 4, and a lot of people were phoning me up in this house like 10 o'clock at night, the, 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 the press people from Channel 4, 10 o'clock at night phone call saying, don't say this, say this, say that. Um, officially, we all had to sit there with a story and, and, and go on like radio backyards talking about things, saying, um, oh, Bex has 
realigned their sponsorship oh, for yeah, the yeah, spring yeah. season. That was, it didn't make any sense at all. It was just a but bunch everybody of words. can see through that, can't we? Everybody. Yes. The way it was, it was interpreted was, it, you know, the show had been dropped. Absolutely. And did a single gay man stop drinking bags? No. <laughs> I don't think. Do you think? Do you met anyone who said I'm not drinking bags ever again? Nah. Well, we, we, well, particularly at that time, we weren't. Um, Mm. We were quite apathetic, weren't we, when it came to politics? The well, lots of us were. I think one of the interesting things about Curious Vogue is it's slightly misremembered when you talk about the tabloid fuss and, and stuff like that. It's amazing when you look back how small that was. On the week Curious Vogue went out, you know, it went out on a Tuesday night or something, you know you get the Sunday papers, the Sunday papers cover... They preview every single every single programme. If there's a programme on about um, knitting quilts in Argentina, the Sunday papers will preview that. Curious Folk was not mentioned in 90% of the news. I think Curious Folk was mentioned in one newspaper, in the previews. That Did doesn't happen for anyone. I wonder if they didn't watch it because they didn't think it was going to be a big... You'd think their interest would be piqued by a big gay show. Well, and Just you the think, title. I think literally... That I'm, not, I'm not even saying it's a homophobic thing, except by default. I think it was like, oh, no one's interested in this. Yeah. That was the assumption. It wasn't like, oh, this is vile, we won't show our readers. It's like... Well, no one's interested in this, so we won't even preview it. How few programmes, especially dramas on big channels, don't get previews? That never happens. Yeah, so yeah. it was it was an interesting kind of reaction that when things were happening, I'd never seen before, and I've never seen since, actually. It was very strange. I wonder what happened then, if there was so little build-up to it for so many people to tune into the first episode, because it did become a big hit, and this is before the time of, of catch-up. Well, that's preview. Channel 4, in fairness, advertised death. They had posters, they had those poster campaigns. It, I mean... The press might have been reluctant to, and in fairness, the game magazines got behind it. Um, a bit, not hugely. It was a late-night show. It was 10.30 at night it went out. Dramas don't go out at 10.30. Um, really properly late night. But shall I tell you what, interestingly, talking about what was going on at the time, and I remember discovering Attitude and discovering Queer as Folk around the same time. Attitude launched in 96, mm. Queer as Folk was on air in 99. There was very much a sense of change and yeah. visibility increasing. There was a set, that gay sensibility and that gay humour, jokes about straights, you know, as if you wouldn't want to be one. Do you remember that problem page they used to have in Attitude, Dear Jules? Yes, yes, um, I love All that. that for me was kind of <laughs> around the same time and I'm sure somewhere in Queer as Folk there was a mention of Attitude attitude or one of the characters was reading it or something yes yes yes, yes. i'm sure this, in the second one there is certainly yes um maybe you know it was yeah. it was a similar kind of sensibility that was awakening or reawakening after the aids crisis do mm, you that's think? true absolutely i i honestly swear that i was the lucky one in that i got on screen with a drama about canal street because it was obvious wasn't it it's mm. what a great setting wow, full of stories full of life full of men full of boys just wonderful you know and and if i hadn't done that someone else would have come along and did it so i always think thank goodness it was me but full of human stories as well because famously it was the first mainstream tv series to humanize gay men whether it's you know their experiences of friendship unrequited so. love coming out yeah. You know, that's that's the... What's unusual about it as a show is, I said you're blowing my own trumpet on it, but I might as well for this. Yeah, here no, we are talking about we're it. We're here to celebrate your it's, heroism it's, in creating <laughs> that show. <laughs> heroism, I don't know about that. But it's it's kind of a formatless show. It's not... A, everything is a crime drama. It's not a soap opera. It's If you look at it and say, what's it about? It's just about life. And I love those dramas. Very, you know, there's things like Cold Feet are like that, but that's much I more a comedy drama. They're comedy. Queer's Folk isn't even a comedy drama. No. It's 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 got it's got a very big nerve in sort of saying actually it, it is a gay drama. It's about gayness. That's not only its story. That's its genre. It is literally about this, and is not going to look away into anything else. And that, that well worked. 
Absolutely. But interesting, you say it's about gayness. In terms of the gay experience, you were revealing, our experiences, I should say, in the plural of life, you were revealing them to audiences, you know, for the first time with a lot of people. And you didn't hold back from showing some of the negative aspects of gay experience. There was drug taking, pornography, promiscuity, not negative. What I mean is the less family friendly. Well, what I did, I I didn't show that as negative. I I didn't like the word promiscuity because I think think that carries with it a sort of almost a religious kind of judgment. Yeah. Yeah. A a way to, it's sleeping around, it's having lots of sex. Hooray. Well done, as long as it's safe. Brilliant. Um, So, you know, and even then, even then, not spelling out safe sex in it. That's what we got. You know, we got plenty of trouble for gay community with it because um, because we didn't show that scene of someone unwrapping a condom and putting it on. Which yeah, but it, when do you see that in straight? Thing? When, when do you see, see that in straight? Sex and the City? Exactly. I don't remember any of those girls ever stopping to put a condom on. Exactly. It's it, that's a different drama, a different. I can understand why people who've been through twenty years of the worst calamity of their lives insisted on seeing that as part of a drama. But you can't do it. For a start, you can't show the erection. You can't actually show what's going on. Um, but it's, that's not what a scene is about. It's not like... It's not, if, you, if it was an episode of Cold Feet and someone's having a cigarette in the pub, you don't stop to say, be warned, kids, you could no, get no, lung no. cancer here. It's just not what happens in drama. No, but interestingly, speaking about HIV-AIDS, you did have some of the downside uh, downsides of the gay experience in there, like homophobia in the workplace, parental rejection... The one thing that was missing, and I'm assuming it was a conscious thing, was yes, HIV AIDS. It's complete. It's actually mentioned every single episode. If it's just mentioned as a charity night, people say I'm off to that charity night. What charity do you think that is? It's not save the children. It's a, so it lurks away as, as a little presence. If you listen, if you comb that dialogue, every episode there's some, there's someone who died. They'll they refer to. But yes, it's tiny because then, right then in 1998, when I was writing it. That's all we were seen as. Yeah, no, And again, absolutely. if you're absolutely. writing a straight drama, you don't fill it full of cancer. And actually, there's far more cancer in the world than anything else. Yeah. It's like our lives, our dramas, our stories were becoming entirely written with illness. And, you know, I have, I'm not dismissing what happened with HIV and AIDS for a second. I've lost friends through all that. I lived through those, those years. But actually, you have to say we're not just that. And we were in danger of being just that, of well, sick yeah. people. Yeah, in terms of people's perceptions, I mean, you know, I I remember around the time when I was kind of first becoming aware of my own instincts and desires, I just thought, because that's the only thing I saw in the mainstream media, I would get AIDS and die. Die? Because that's what I thought. So actually, there was all this hysteria around it, Mm. and, you know, that gays have loads of sex and die of AIDS. Yes. I can see how by cutting it out of the yeah. drama, yeah, 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 yeah. you're actually reacting against that. Very deliberate, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I stand by it to this day. I know that upset a lot of people. But I think when you write something good, you will upset a lot of people. And it was interesting, that, yeah, no, I completely agree. But it's also interesting that you said it was a drama about gayness because at the time when there'd been so few gay characters on screen, so few gay stories on screen, suddenly you're under all this pressure to represent everybody's story. Mm, And um, no gay drama, no drama can ever do that. No drama about a woman can represent every woman's story. But you always get, every time there's something gay on telly, whether it's Vicious, the sitcom or whatever, that doesn't reflect my life as a gay man. Yes, yes, yes. You know, were you aware when you were writing it and making it of... This responsibility of... I learned that during it. And it's very interesting that, that actually it is full of... The drama is actually full of... There are lesbian characters. There's an older gay man called Bernie and, and there's a few drag queens in the pub. There's all sorts of aspects of gay life in there, all reduced to about six lines, though. Because I did start out with a great 
panoply, is that a word? Panoply. Panoply yeah. of characters in my head and realised as I developed in my head that the thing, the only way to make it work was to focus it, really, was, to, was, to, was, was not to say I am representing everyone. Also, the truth about what people don't get about that representation argument, because that happens all the time, is that uh, you can represent someone absolutely brilliantly. You can draw them with 100% accuracy and they won't recognise themselves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, and also, the more vociferous their opinion, the more angry they are, the more likely it is that you've shown something very like them. You know how we all react to a photo? You know how we all hate hearing our own voice? Yeah, you know, him, yeah. play this back to me. I go, oh my Tell God, me my about voice. it, darling. Like photos. It's like that's what people like when you see an accurate representation of yourself. You don't like it, and you don't. It's not you don't like it. You don't recognize it. You don't see it. This is true of everything. This is true. Of, if I was a Mormon watching a Mormon drama, if I was a carpenter watching a carpenter drama, if I'm a gay man watching yeah. a gay drama, I'll react badly to the representation if it's very good. Well, and interestingly, if gay men aren't that comfortable with their gayness because they're still slightly then repulsed by it, yes. then it's going to be even worse. I remember in Jonathan Harvey's last novel, there's a character who's a playwright. Oh, I love that. I read that. It's yes, great, yes. But he goes Isn't to see good? the play, yeah, which yeah, is based yeah. on his life, and they've cast an yes. actor who's really camp in it, and he says, <laughs> why is he so camp? You know, I'm nothing like that. <laughs> exactly. And the point is, I mean, every time I hear my voice, I think, my God, am I that camp? But, you know, the fact that gay men are having these reactions yeah, shows yeah. that I they're actually, not... I based Stuart largely on one man that I knew and by a long chain of coincidences I ended up watching that episode with that man and he absolutely hated it in front of me he was going oh what rubbish what Oh, and he didn't recognise himself He didn't recognise himself for a second, and that was a good portrait of him. And I loved that. I just sat there hugging myself with glee, because um, that's the way. So you can't worry about the representation thing at all. You can't represent everyone. And when you do, they don't recognise yeah, it. Fine, yeah. move on, just go and write a story. I'll tell you one of the things, amongst others, that you absolutely nailed in it was the gay friendship thing, because we've just launched a new strand in Attitude, which is looking at gay friendships and celebrating them because, or we're about to launch this new strand because I think historically there have been, friendships have been so much more intense and important for gay people, especially when we've had to distance ourselves from our families. Mm. And um, there's so many different things that you can go through. And the fact that Vince and Stuart... They'd had a fumble, hadn't they, years ago? Yes, but um, Vince almost. was still in love with Stuart. And... Completely unrequited love. And that's true about friendship, full stop. Where are the great love songs about friendship? Where's yeah. the great poems? Where are the great movies? It's, it's one of the most important things in our lives. I love my friend Tracy. I love my friend David. I love them. I love them in a completely unique way. They're brilliant, aren't they, friends? Well, how, we can't sing songs about them, can we? They're not, the songs don't exist. The, no. novel, the, the TV shows don't exist. Actually, TV well, shows do exist. TV does it, yes. It was yes. the one for me. Oh, I, good. That's what I, I like. I told, what I took away from it was that this was the most brilliant celebration of friendship, but also kind of exploration of all the different emotional l- components and layers that were going on there. Do you find people haven't heard of it these days? Your younger readers, it's like it's becoming like Kathy Come Home or something. <laughs> like a really old piece of telly now. Literally, if I meet like you know an eighteen-year-old gay boy, I go, "Oh, I've heard of that." <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, vaguely, in the past. Well, I wonder whether it is becoming um, a piece of history. It's old now. I mean, I think when Cucumber came out, which I want to talk about later, there was a lot of discussion about how things had progressed and a yes. lot of celebration of... A comparison, what, yeah, yeah, yeah. and yeah. what Queer as Folk had done. Um, I think because the American one started a few years after and went on for a while, I do think it is in people's consciousness, oh, but good. I don't think they no. get the impact, actually. No, well, I know, was there an impact? I mean, there was a, I mean, yes, it's, it, we did nicely. It didn't 
does television change the world? I don't know if it does. It's... Well, you say that. I remember at the time, and I was reading up to check on this, but wasn't the lowering of the age of consent for gay people being debated in it Parliament exactly at the, the time? exactly the same time, yes, yes, yes. Yes, it was, yes. You know, so do you think that... Um, I mean, there was a lot of opposition to this. Yes. Especially from the House of Lords. Do you think, do you hope that Queer as Fuck might have made some kind of impact? I, it could do. I remember at the time worrying that it would be the opposite, because there we were with a 15-year-old boy being um, taken through a marvellous night. Um, so I remember the time thinking, oh, God, this is bad timing, cause, cause, because idiots are going to say, oh, this will lead underage boys into underage sex, and I'm almost playing up to their arguments. Nonetheless, please don't make it think as though I regretted my decisions at all for a second, but mm. I did worry that they'd be misinterpreted and used the other way. I don't think, I don't think actually a parliamentary vote, it depends on the television programme. No, but should I tell you what, do you not remember what that the chief Supreme Court judge said in the States when they voted to for equal marriage? She said something like, "It's be, we voted for this because we all know gay people. We've all met yes. gay people. We know that they're just like us. Yes. And, um, but aren't we now sitting here waiting for that to be taken away with a stroke of an executive order? It's what days we live well, in, yes, isn't it? Yes, absolutely. That's I'm a waiting. whole other conversation. Oh, my but goodness. But can we just go back to yes. your yes. achievement <laughs> in Queer as Fuck? Because I think if you humanised gay men, which you did, and put those, their stories out there, I think that... I mean, it's difficult to quantify these things, of isn't course. it? But I think... Thank you. Thank you for thinking so. I'm sure it probably did make an impact. I hope so. It'd be lovely to think. I'll take that with me. Thank you. And um, how about Manchester's Gay Village, just up the road from yeah. here? Because so that was very much my stomping ground at the time. I absolutely. Oh, you loved left it. your mark. They still talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh God, shouldn't joke about those things. You probably. <laughs> but um, there was a brilliant line when Nathan said to was his friend called Donna the Mixed Donna, Little Donna, yeah. and he said or she said something about oh it's just like New York, oh, yeah. and that we you know when they were going out and discovering it, it was so exciting. Yes. Yes, I yes. used to get the train from Bolton for a Saturday night. They were that, heady days, yeah, weren't they? They were really Which heady days. Capture a piece of history. Yes. People say that the streets that people say it's still not the same. I don't know. You go out there. I don't go there often. I go there very rarely. Go out there on the right night in the right mood, and it is still wonderful. I think it is, it is obviously quieter as, as a street couple because that culture spread out. People go to the northern, northern quarter. They don't go yeah. to specifically gay bars and pubs anymore now. But you know, and then but then I went to Pride this year. I went to Pride for the first time in years, actually, for in the first time about ten years, Manchester Pride, and it was brilliant. That whole place was buzzing. Will Young was singing in the car park. Streets were packed, and I thought it's still there. It is still there. It's amazing that as a city, I certainly when I was growing up, I always thought of the northwest as quite a macho culture. Mm-hmm. When I grew up in Bolton and. Um, you know, quite oh, male. And there was yeah. always this kind of gay oasis, this gay village. Yeah, it was like that for me because I came here from Cardiff when I was uh, 1987 and Cardiff had one gay club was lovely, but one. And um, coming here was, even though Canal Street barely existed, Mantos hadn't take off, taken off and created Love Canal Mantos. Street. But there was still the number one club, there was Rockies, it was still so much gayer. The new union. Any, the new union, it was all there. <laughs> and it was it was one of the reasons I stayed. I came here on a six-month contract, and actually within about three days, I said, oh, I love it here, I'm going to stay. But that gayness was a big part of it. I was talking to someone the other day, um, my friend David's boyfriend, Tom, who lives in Leeds, and I said, well, why do you end up living in Leeds? And he went, it was a city. I yeah, left home yeah, yeah. to go to a city where I could be gay. And he thought, yeah, that's true. I can remember stepping onto Canal Street and thinking, <laughs> I can be me here. Yes. And that rush of kind of euphoria. Yes. 
And yes. uh, I mean, there's all other things bound up with it, a bit of fear, a bit of discomfort. And... Good, I'm glad you said that, yes, because that's still the same. Yes, yes, yes. There's, 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 I'm very proud of a speech I wrote in Bob and Rose, actually, where, where, where his, friend, his friend Carl talks about the fear that he's still, even though he's out and gay and proud, when he first went into gay pubs, he was scared. And so whenever he goes into a gay pub, mm. he still remembers being scared. And that's true, I think. There's, you know, sometimes, even myself, good Lord, at my age and all the things I've done, as you step over the threshold of a gay pub, I'm slightly taking my breath, just instinctively. Isn't it funny that that it's never strange. leaves you? Never goes. And maybe people younger, a lot younger than us, don't even know what we're talking about. But maybe they do, though. Maybe they do. It's still a safe space for a lot of people. So what? So um, in terms of, let's think about your life then. Oh. So, so what? Which was the first gay bar that you went into? Oh, Swansea Jingles. It was called Jingles. I want to go there now. Does this still exist? <laughs> it was of all the clubs to go to. It was it was a converted abandoned theatre. So it was massive. It had a proscenium arch. Was still there, and people danced around in it. Yeah, I must have been seventeen, eighteen, or something. So were you frightened when you went to? Oh my god, yes. But I was with a load of mates. I didn't go alone. I was very lucky, and I when um. I went through kind of the normal school years or the normal silence, the normal fear of having a comprehensive school. But I belonged to a youth theatre that was the most brilliant youth theatre, brilliantly run, brilliantly organised. Uh, but actually, quite by accident, not deliberately, it was a very safe gay space, I realise now, looking out. So when I was 13, there, for your role models, there were these older gay men there. Oh, when I say older, they were 16. But there was yeah. a campus Christmas. Andrew James, who's no longer with us. His friend Clive. Pinky, who's still a drag queen in Brighton. These brilliant people who were 16, 17, out and funny and, and, and loud. And camp provincial camp. girls. Oh, my God. You'd look up to them and just think how marvellous they were. And they were so lovely to us, the younger kids. Just yeah, friendly. well, that's interesting that you looked up to them and thought how marvellous they were. Yeah. Because a lot of people who are still frightened of what they recognise inside them... Yeah. React against those oh, camp loud gays. Absolutely. And, but, but as ever, they were the funniest people in the room. That's why camp works. That's why I love those camp comedians. That's why I love that whole history of, of, of John Inman and Larry Grayson. It's, uh, the jesters come first, don't they? They throw themselves over the cliff in our name to, yeah, uh, to yeah. clear the path for us. And my God, those boys were funny. Who do you want to be? The funniest person in the room. That's who you want. Especially at 13, when you're wearing your nature tracks and, and corduroys and <laughs> wondering how to fit in. Go and be with the funniest people, which was them. Right, so interestingly, you say 13 and you describe this as a safe space. Does that imply that the world you were experiencing outside wasn't safe or you didn't feel safe? It, it, it wasn't safe is the wrong word there. It's just it kind of um, didn't exist. Uh, you know, in Swansea, um, there were... They, didn't even feel in danger. Obviously, you feel like I can never say who I am, but that it didn't even feel dangerous. It just felt natural. You just kind of thought, I'm not going to say I am gay at 13, 14, 15, um, because that vocabulary isn't even there. So it didn't feel unsafe. It yeah, just wasn't an option. It's, it's, does that not imply danger? Surely. Um, yes, you're right. Yes, it, it is. I remember, I can vividly remember being at the top of our street, walking past the doctors, flicking through smash hits <laughs> that had just arrived. Oh. And Andy Bell said something about being gay. And I remember thinking, I don't know how old I was, but I remember thinking I could never, ever, ever tell anybody my dirty secret. Yes, yes, yes. And the, the only reason I could never, be I, some the level of danger. Feel, what did I say? It didn't feel so unsafe as that. I never thought of it as dirty. I, I thought I could never tell my secrets. I get that. Um, I kind of always thought I will when I move away. Maybe I'm rewriting with hindsight when I was 13, 14. I was about 16. I think I'll move away. I'll be 18. I'll move to a city. I will. I know Swansea is a city, but it's small and Welsh. Um, and I can remember once my mum and dad having visitors, their friend from Nottingham, and who said, oh, we got our friends coming around tomorrow night. They're, 
they're gay, they are gay friends and they left. And my mother sat there and went, well, we don't know any homosexuals. She said, how strange of Peggy to do that. And, but it's funny, you look back and you think, they did, you know. There was old Uncle Dudley, who was, who was, who was never married. So you had an uncle? <laughs> no, he was, he was a man who lived at the end of the street. Oh, right. He was that kind of man. <laughs> that, you know, there were those, Courtesy yeah, uncle. Those people everyone has, those two women who run the pet shop. It's, 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 you know, you look, my mum was a clever woman. You think you are surrounded by gay people, I thought afterwards. Um, but you just don't recognise it somehow. It's kind of coded and quiet. I don't, I don't, you're kind of, you are kind of living in fear of it. It's like, but it's normal at the same time. It's like, I, I worry sometimes that we describe our past and our history tragically and sadly, whereas actually we're young, we're busy wanking, we're kind of watching, going on, we did go up and move away into big cities. That's fine, actually. Yeah, it's quite a though, normal process. If you think about it, for a young straight boy to be busy wanking, thinking about um, whichever yeah. pop star and little mix that he fancies, <laughs> there's there's no undercurrent of anything negative no. with that. No, with, no. with gays in those days, I certainly, when I was wanking about whoever it was at the time, <laughs> um, I would be thinking, I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Um, if people found out, if if my mum and dad knew, you know, is and that is not. It should be a completely innocent, joyous sexual blossoming, shouldn't yes, it? And yes, it's yes, not yes, always, yes. or it wasn't always for gay people. Still yes, isn't for a lot. Yes, yes. Except I, I absolutely agree. All I'm trying to do is just put another light yeah, on yeah, it at the yeah. same time. We should say, actually, most 13-year-old boys are wanking, saying no one was find out about this. That's yeah. not exclusive yeah. to ours. It's not. Yes, no, that's true. Uh, you know, it's a hidden... It, that's sex. That's, 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 that's who we are as we come out. You know, there's a danger that we colonise yes. all of this for ourselves and, yes. and claim the fear as our own. And I'm... If I can do one thing in life, it's kind of saying, let's, let's, not, let's not only talk about the fear. Let's talk about the marvellous time we had going through smash hits. Yeah. And looking okay, at those yeah. boys, which was brilliant, actually. So and who did you, you wank over then when you were 13? It was probably the $6 million man. Lee <laughs> 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 Majors, God bless. Was that 13? I was like 11. Oh God. I don't know. Happy days. See, they were happy. See, look at us laughing. Weren't they happy days absolutely, as well? Absolutely. I was, and like I say, I was very lucky in that I did have this escape valve of, uh, I'm only calling it, of this youth theatre, I'm only calling it a safe gay space in hindsight we didn't have words like that yeah, yeah. then we didn't have that sort of vocabulary but it was my mates and so many of my mates are gay have turned out to be gay and we're all still in touch with each other and it was a very very happy place and a very very empowering place actually well and also if you think about um to just go back to what you were saying um when we're wanking, obviously I'm fixated on the wanking, but um, it's not just sexuality that comes into it. There's kind of the approaches to sex that you've been brought up with. If there's religion involved in your immediate yes. society or culture, then, you know, I was brought up Catholic. And, I mean, you know, some Catholic people feel, it, feel that shame and guilt is put on them. So, you know, it's not just whether you're gay or straight, how you react to sex, is it? There's all no. kinds of things going on. No, no, that's something we don't... Own all this, yeah. All this, all these fears and all this shame. They, they, it, they we're talking about sex, full stop, and not just gay sex. Even though there are many problems, particular to us, that do exist, but but there's a good side to it. It's no, like, and I always everything you're saying. That's kind of when you're talking about the 13 year old straight boys, what they are doing. They are having sex. Actually, yeah. they, they, this is this is why we all go mad in our twenties because still a lot of us sat there, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, watching everyone else cop off in school parties and, yeah. uh, and at discos. While we, we had didn't, to put a lid we on it, sat didn't there we? silently and watched it. And however, frankly, I think that made me a good writer. 
I honestly believe that. I think I stood there and I watched and I understood couples. You, you saw you saw them becoming couples, falling out of couples, the rows they'd have. We kind of I kind of watched all that and analysed all that before I actually experienced it for myself. And actually, if I'm going to put a positive spin on that, I think it's done me good. And professionally, it's done me good. And I think I think I write couples very well. I think I can write straight couples very well. I think I get them. And all this was going on, all this emotional, sexual stuff was going on in your internal world because yeah. you couldn't externalise it, you couldn't actualise it in any way. So yeah. that's how it fed you into your creativity. You probably swishing around, like, right, OK. <laughs> <laughs> People go, oh, yeah, what a surprise. But it's interesting that I remember going your... to a school reunion when I was 13, walking and going, I'm gay! And most people just go, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the people you thought would have beaten you up, who might well have beaten you up when you were 16, but, like, all rolling their eyes, going, of course you are. It is changing, it's, it, it, which doesn't mean to say there aren't people out there not living in fear, but it is a better world. So, going back to your world, yes. what happened when you told your mum and dad then? Oh, it was fine. We're a lovely family. We have two sisters as well. Do you know, I was thinking this morning, because I knew this question would crop up, I don't think I ever told my sisters. I think, I just skipped that. I presume my mum and dad would have told them, and they, they, of course they know. And it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't the best thing in the world. It's, they didn't go hooray. They weren't... They weren't my mum wasn't like Hazel and Queer as folks. She didn't start, jump on the stage and start singing karaoke. But it was fine. We're full of love. We were loved. We were absolutely loved. And they went through tricky times when I was transmitting Queer as Folk just after that, about six months after that. Uh, no, at the time of transmission, actually, was my mother's 70th birthday. She had a big party in the Swansea Rugby Club. There were friends of hers who didn't turn up because I was going to be oh. there. I know, it's amazing. And you know what? Bless my mother. She didn't even tell me that. Someone else told me that. She didn't bother me with that and um, didn't consider it a problem, and, and I certainly didn't go to those people's funerals. They're all dead now. It's like, isn't it funny? The old could do what they like, but the young win in the end. But it's also interesting that you... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but it's interesting that when you were growing up, you had this safe space and it was all lovely and joyous, but somehow within you was awakened this political anger. Yes, it wasn't because... lovely and joyous. It was, yeah. I'm, aware, I'm honestly aware of the problems. I'm, I'm yeah. deliberately, in life, looking for a better spin on it because there's enough people telling the negative spin. Yeah. And I think there's a danger that that's all we do. But, um, but what, went on, what went on in your life for you to become kind of politically... Um, Angry, you know, because all that was in queer as fault. You never yes. missed an opportunity of reminding girls yeah, that we didn't yes. have equal rights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, well, AIDS came along. I mean, and, and I'm literally, my life literally coincides with AIDS. Down, you know, when I was 18 and left home, that was 1981. That's literally the first cases happening. And so by the time I'm 21, that's starting to become public. So I lived through that. I wasn't at the forefront of that, I've got to be honest. It's like there were people who did much, lived much better lives than mine and done much better work than me in, in, in terms of tackling and protesting about that sort of stuff. But that was my life. I lived through that. So, so from, from the moment I was an adult male, we were and are political creatures. Yeah. To be gay in the 21st century is a political act. Even now, it's fascinating. We're sitting here just after the Church of England has been discussing this again. Uh, we sit there going, oh, shut up. Get over Talk it. about something else. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, and, Why are they so fixated you know, on it? This what will, is the problem? This will be a flare point in Trump's America. It's absolutely going yeah, to be. No, it's there no. in Russia. I mean, like it or not, we are the touchstone. We are, gayness is a lowdstone and, and the touchstone for trouble. 
And I love that. At the same time, I love the fact that we're right at the forefront of these debates. And um, at the same time, I roll my eyes. I think, for God's sake, get over it. Why are we... We're not saying we're important. You're saying we're important all the time. Well, Stop inviting us yeah. to these parties. It's interesting because it feels to me like at the moment we've got a temporary reprieve. Yes. It's the immigrants who are getting it in the neck now. Yes. We're not the scapegoats but anymore. But I think the word temporary is absolutely yeah. bang on. It's like if things had, if we'd swung another way, I'm not here to praise Theresa May, but if our government swung the other way and elected if Boris Johnson or Michael Gove was oh. our Prime Minister, we as gay people would be facing a much darker future, I think. And you might yet still. That's certainly going to happen in France. Listen to what Marine Pen's saying. It's we paper thin. All of our victories are paper thin. And if there are young people listening to this, and I think young people are becoming marvellous at politicising themselves, it's like there are fights coming. Literally, there are fights on the way. Well, and also, you know, things are much better in this country, but we, through the internet and everything, it's a much smaller world. We are much more aware of what's going on elsewhere. And just the fact that we're here talking about being gay and our experiences now and this podcast will be available all over the world. Yes, isn't that amazing? Yes. It's amazing, but it's like a political act, isn't it? It's wonderful. It's brilliant. And I think I think that you're right about going back to what you were saying, it does I think it, I think I'm more of a political writer than a gay writer sometimes. Like, even in Doctor Who, every episode in Doctor Who, every season of Doctor Who, I killed the Prime Minister or blew up 10 Downing Street or did something like that. I never left it alone. And I, because being gay makes you so politically aware, whether you like it or not. And I also think if you're writing well, good writing is about the world, even if it's writing a period drama, if you're writing something, even if it's Doctor Who sat on Mars or even if it's on Canal Street with a bunch of gay men, that's... You're talking, but that is politics. Our existence in the world is political. Yeah. It's not about a bunch of men in Westminster debating our, our future. It's us and how we live and where we are and how we relate to each other. That's politics. It's people. Um, you know what? Just to finish off thinking about this world that you brought to the screen with Queer as Folk, because I do want to talk about Cucumber and obviously Doctor Who. Um, I knew it. You want those hits. <laughs> All the hits in the butt. It's like, you put that at the top. Doctor Who podcast. <laughs> Drive you to the Attitude website. I know. Um, I'm clickbait. Well, actually, shall I tell you what? I've never, I've never quite got Doctor Who. <gasps> Apart from your... Know, Door to my house I know, is here. I know, Please sorry. This is, this is a big conversation we need to have. Lord. But here one I am, thing... dressed as a Dalek. You're in a frock. I'm dressed as a Dalek. It's marvellous. <laughs> we need to have this conversation. Let's take a quick pause. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Attitude Heroes is sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. You can check out their website at great.gov.uk. And welcome to our second and new sponsor, Jaguar. We'll talk more about their partnership later in the series. But for now, you can visit jaguar.co.uk for more product information. We'll get back to Russell now. But first, a quick reminder to subscribe to the series if you haven't already done so. You can do it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please do tell your friends because we don't want them to miss out. Now, let's head to Canal Street in the 1990s. 
So you've told us about your life and you've told us about your life in Swansea. What happened when you came to Manchester? Because you said earlier about how a lot of straight boys, when you're, a lot of gay boys when you're growing up, we have to cover up heterosexual desires. And when mm. we get somewhere like Canal Street, the lid's off. Yes. And we go slightly bonkers like a kid in a sweet shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that what happened to you? I kind of... I didn't go bonkers, bonkers. I wasn't quite good-looking enough to be as bonkers as I would have liked. Tell me about it. I would have loved <laughs> to have been. Let's be honest. Although it's probably um, quite good for us in retrospect that we weren't. I'm Do not sure know, I'd some, still be here. No, sometimes I think that saved my life. That's very true. Isn't that weird? Um, but I had a lovely time. Oh, and I did love Canal... In the 90s, I absolutely loved Canal Street. And I was working very hard, I've got to say. And I was lucky because I worked at the BBC and where you could be as gay as you like. I was in a very lucky environment. Um... We were kind of like the naughty kids. We were we were allowed to fill program slots that other people wouldn't touch in London. And we had a right laugh. It was good. And you say naughty. What about um, the kind of drink and the drugs and the casual sex that we saw in Queer as Folk? Yeah, yeah Any yeah. of that best? Did you have a wild period? I did, yes. I mean, that's a normal period. I don't think of it as wild. I wasn't the wildest by any means. I was genuinely working very, very hard. So I didn't go out that much. But I did. I went out a laugh and did too much of this and too much of that. Of course I did. But it's interesting, that was kind of... Yeah, it was kind of late 20s, 30s. It wasn't early 20s. Um, it was, yeah, but I loved it. And Canal Street was literally becoming that famous Canal Street right under my feet. And um, am I right in thinking you had an accidental drug overdose? Yeah, 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 that was in this house. That was right where we're sitting here. It's one of those bad nights where you sniff something you shouldn't have. Goodness knows what it was, probably Ajax or something. It was terrible. Um, and yes, survived. but everyone's got a story like that. I don't mean to colonise, I don't mean to... Claim ownership. claim ownership on that kind of territory with people who've really suffered because it was a bad night. I, like about three days after Princess Diana died, because I vividly remember <laughs> actually, even as I was I was suffering, I was kind of making gags in my head, thinking I won't get the smallest headline. It's all Diana. Diana, Diana it's like man dies in Manchester. I won't get a paragraph. <laughs> and what, and, what time? <laughs> I had to go to. Uh, I read through a few days after, and I was so ill. I was just, I thought, I'll just wear a black suit. And Susan Hampshire came up to me and said, how kind of you to wear that for Princess Diana. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, oh, God, it's because I'm drug-fucked. <laughs> she was your cover, oh, my God. <laughs> so, when you, so when you were at work and when you were doing all these, early, these shows that were kind of in the early period of your career, even then you were getting in your gay characters and your gay storylines, Always. The very first thing I wrote, Dark Season, which is a children's thriller starring Kate Winslet, there's a fantastic actress called Jacqueline Pierce who is a Nazi monster who has a beautiful blonde uh, uh, female assistant at her side. And in, they don't do anything lesbian on screen. It's children's television, of course, they don't, but in rehearsals, I said, these are a couple. These two are How did that go down? Oh, they loved it, Jeff. You ever met Jacqueline <laughs> Pierce? Jacqueline Pierce used to be serverland in Blake 7. So she was like, darling, I love it. Like that. So it was always, that was my very first script. And yes, it's, it's, and it's not, I'd love to make myself sound like a campaigner and, and say, I'm doing this deliberately for visibility which I do believe in, but it's, it's like breathing to me. It's like, how can you not? It's just absolutely natural. When I sit upstairs here and type out, they come out of my fingers, those gay characters. They just Well, are. and also, you know, writing Queer as Folk in this house, and then you end up with the American remake. You know, yeah. these reverberations. Yeah. What did you And think- there were a lot before that. You know, I worked on all sorts of soap operas. For, I did a gay 
female vicar. Delighted, uh, so lots of lesbians going on. I know, here. but there is. I think people think I only write men and stuff like that. I've done a lot. I did the, on a so called Spring Hill. I did young teenage boys coming out. I really, really, really did a lot. I did a bisexual bridegroom in a, in a soap opera called Revelations. I've done the spade work. I've done a lot right, of it. Right. So why are you saying you weren't on a campaign? That sounds to me like a full on strategically thought out campaign. I was, I, I make myself sound good with that. And, but I was just writing. I'd get a job and I think, oh, I'd, I wouldn't be. I'd make myself more interested in the characters by by not just gayness, but entering a bigger world, bigger world, bigger characters, and more open sexuality. There's more to write about. That's what you want. And also, when you're writing, there's nothing more attractive than those wide open prairies where no other writer is, yeah. where you can think, "Oh, this is new. No one. Hello, female vicar in in a soap called Revelations. Female lesbian vicar. I don't, played by Sue Holderness uh, from Only Fools and Horses, who was delightful. Such a nice woman. I love her. Um, yeah. And so, brand new, open skies. Open Open territory, no one else is writing this. Lovely. So you must have felt then, having entered this this open territory, this undiscovered prairie, that with Queer as Folk properly nailing it, and then the American remake, yes. you know, becoming big all over the world, you must have thought, mission accomplished. Well, and weirdly, actually, the first thing I did then was go and write Bob and Rose, which is about a gay man who sleeps with a woman. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, I yeah, kind yeah. of thought... Hey, I do have a laugh. It's and I, and I do do these. I do do these things on purpose. I do them instinctively, and I do them on purpose. Both things are true. Um, but there was kind of like, if ever I had a bit of a fan base, I suppose it was then. Like, oh, you're a gay writer. Come on, write gay stories. And I thought I will do the one gay story that that other people aren't writing. Actually, which had happened to a friend of mine, that is going to piss a lot of those gay viewers off. Marvelous. The moment you can tell me I can piss viewers off, something in me is very happy. Mm, there's a twinkle in your <laughs> eye now, talking about pissing people off. I one of the, I loved Bob and Rose, and one of the things I loved most was. The Jessica Stevenson, the friend of his who was secretly in love with him. Holly, yes. Holly. Wasn't she amazing? That show is actually Bob and Rose and Holly, isn't it? If it had its proper title. Yeah. It was was funny that because I sat down, I sold that to ITV. Here's a show about a gay man who falls in love with a woman. Marvellous, we'll have that. And um, I wrote the first hour. And this genuinely happened to a friend of mine who was gayer than gayer than gay and fell in love with a woman. And I thought, oh, he, people were so prejudiced against him. They hated him. They gossiped about him. They bitched about him. They were angry about it. It was fascinating, the doors of anger that it opened because he'd broken the rules. I sat down to write this six hours. Within about half an hour of the first episode, I thought, everyone who disagrees with these two sleeping with each other is stupid. I'm now going to write six hours about stupid people. I can't do that. I can't make everyone... I can get a lot of comedy out of this, but I... I have a hard time genuinely motivating the people who don't like this relationship. So I had to invent a third character, another woman who's in love with Bob, who was heartbroken that he loved a woman but didn't love her, yeah, to yeah, get yeah, six yeah. hours out of it. As simple yeah. as that. So it, well, it's not about the prejudice, and it's not about, oh my God, you're gay in the end. It's a love triangle. It's as simple as that. But isn't it interesting how prejudices as gay men because a friend of mine who, now, funnily enough, writes a column for Attitude, oh, but yes. um, after knowing him for years as a gay man, oh, yes. he suddenly had a relationship with a woman. Yes. And a lot of us around him were, oh. so what, well, you know, bisexual, what's going on? We all felt kind of betrayed. Offended, and I yes. did. Yes, yes, and yes. I, and actually you describing those people are stupid now. I can see that I absolutely was And stupid. I'm not about... I wrote Bob and Rose really because I was one of those stupid people. My friend did this and I was... I was like, oh, how ridiculous. He's just having a nervous breakdown. Oh, he just wants kids. Or oh, whatever. Oh, he's self-loathing. And he self-loathing. And then one night, 
he wasn't even the best friend of mine, but one night we ended up drunk together and I got a chance to ask all those questions you never asked. Literally, I was like, how do you have sex? What goes through your mind? Are he, you thinking of a man when you're having sex? I, Aren't we so terrible? All we... of that. And he answered everything. And it was a love story in front of me. And I was ashamed of myself. This love story unfolded where everything he felt was genuine. And they, they were together for years and years. They were together for about 20 years, I think. It was just brilliant. Um, so you did Bob and Rose yes. partly as a reaction to all the gay stuff and people yeah. expecting... Oh, expect- right, really, as another gay story. Yeah. That all gay stories aren't about men falling in love with men. I still think Bob and Rose is very gay. But, it's just a different sexuality. Yeah. But, I know, but you did say it was yeah. people weren't expecting you yeah. to do that. And then um, it took 16 years after Queer as Folk for you to return to similar territory yes. with Cucumber. Yes, I was always planning it. It was always there. It's like, who I would never have dreamt that I'd get lost in that Doctor Who universe for so long. I thought I'd do one year on Doctor Who. It would die a death and then I'd be, then I'd go and write Cucumber. That's how long it was sitting there. Who could have known? The circus. Let's still pause on Doctor Who. I need to, I need to build up to that gradually. (laughs) Think of those clicks. Think of those clicks. Um, But Cucumber, which I absolutely loved, I thought in terms of... Did you? Not everyone did, you see? Oh, I loved it. There were people on your magazine hating that. Oh, really? Yes, there were. I thought it was brilliant. I thought in terms of... I'm not having a go at people didn't like it, actually. I think it was a difficult piece of work. I think it was was genuinely meant to be a very tough piece of work. It wasn't meant to be, hey, come to a disco. Queer as folk was basically, come to a disco and have sex and have fun. Yeah. Um, Even though it had more things to say than that, whereas Cucumber was... Hard. It was hard on gay men. Well, everybody was expecting you to... Ref- I mean, you know, like you say, the first one, Queer as Fuck, had been about gayness. Gayness means something completely different mm. in 2015 when Cucumber was made. And yeah. actually, you did reflect the change in attitudes towards gay people. And, you know, the lead couple lived in a suburban street and everybody loved them. Yes. Um, yes. So you did do all that, but not in a schematic, clunky way. And then what you did was shake it all up. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, well, but partly because it, uh, partly because it was a show about middle age, really, and it's that, and it did, uh, which I think is never going to be popular with most people. Who could have been honest about the show? It absolutely died a death on Channel Four. Died! Oh my God, it died a death. You know, it's, oh my God, it died a death. Terrible viewing figures. Um, what I am proud of, equally, I will say, is that that I won the writer the best, the BAFTA for best writer for that in a year of you know all those shows that were on television, all those crime shows, and all those period dramas, and all those state of the nation pieces. The winner of the best BAFTA was about a middle aged gay man. I'm very proud of that. My entire career, I think that's a great thing to have happened for us. Not just yeah. me having a trophy. I mean that the life of a middle aged gay man is seen as valid and dramatic and important and has something to say about it. So I did have my conquests with it. It's like it's hard, isn't it? I think we're at a funny time where I think we're not particularly. I think gay culture we're not, are we not particularly demanding those gay shows anymore Looking didn't do very well either I loved I Looking. didn't understand why Looking didn't do very no, well I loved, loved Looking I, I thought it was it. absolutely brilliant again I think it was a hard watch I think it's I've said this to Andrew Haig who, who did it it's, it's uh, that what what made it wonderful was how hard it was to watch how much you had to concentrate that's a show that happily cliffhanged out on Patrick deciding to have uh, mac and cheese instead of a salad because to him that, that said a lot about his state of mind that you go for the fattening food instead of the non-fattening food wonderful piece of work well, that is an everyday cliffhanger for all of us it's hard in a television drama it takes incredible nerve to show that as a cliffhanger yeah, that's why yeah. I loved it but it demanded an awful lot of you and maybe we want why do you think it, why do you think it didn't do well ratings wise if I knew I would be here churning out the thing that does do well 
Um, I think, I've got no idea. I think I need to be told this rather than me coming up with theories about it. And all, and I'm still oh, happy. Oh, sorry, I, w- I was actually talking about looking then. Oh, right, well, yes, I know, both. No, I'm talking right, about right. because actually yeah. both suffered a similar fate, actually. It was around the same time, wasn't yes, it? Yes, 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 they were. And uh, I mean, I'm just delighted they got made, to be honest. It's like, as long as these things get made, I'm happy. And there's a lot of, um, there's an awful lot. It's, it's funny, it's kind of something missed the mark in Cucumber. I think... I love the fact how those YouTubers on there with that strange, fluid sexuality. Oh, but the yeah, way those the YouTubers, and the... I know the way those YouTubers take their shirts off and 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 plow gay men for money for wish lists and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a, yeah. It's a strange little world that of straight boys playing with us. And, and I loved all that. I was, gonna, I was really glad I had a chance to look at that sort of stuff that's going on now. I don't think anyone was particularly interested in watching that. That's fine. Well, and actually, going back to what you, the first point you said about. Um, exploring ageing, the ageing process, Mm. sexual desire as we enter middle age, the fact that that is so underexplored. Well, the whole thing starts with a man asking another man to marry him. So it's taken, and that man saying no, because that's one of the consequences of gay marriage is that finally men can turn around and say, will you marry me? And suddenly that's something you can say no to. That couple could have sat there in the same house for another 20 years if that question hadn't been invented. So... It's it's again it's, it's doing the opposite. Hooray, gay marriage is marvelous. But a, a, a drama that just says hooray, gay marriage is marvelous is very boring. It's more interesting to look for the the different aspects to it. Absolutely, and actually, one of the things I enjoyed most about it and found the most fulfilling is that the character Henry not just did he not feel comfortable Mm. um, with any public display of his gay love, Mm. which marriage is, but there was the whole thing about him not wanting to have anal sex. He was disgusted by that brilliant scene in the hotel room. Um, She's never talked about it, is it? It's never talked about that. Well, this is the thing. This is what I'm saying. You did talk about it. You brought it all up. I think that's possibly what made it uncomfortable. It's like, I mean, Ah. there's there's nothing nothing more uncomfortable. We all know this. When you're watching the television with your boyfriend and something a couple on screen start talking about their sex life and it's you and you suddenly think, oh, turn over. <laughs> you know, it's, and I think I did that on a massive scale with Cucumber was talk about things that it's fair enough if you want to come home at the end of a long day's work and not watch something about your sexual problems, you're allowed to not watch it. That's fine. So I think, I think there are a lot of uncomfortable subjects in there. I think, I also think, because that anal stuff isn't particularly talked about, I think those who have active sex lives in which they are happily having penetrative sex barely believe that that problem exists. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Or, and actually, it has to be said about Henry, I shouldn't use the word problem. If we want to have a non-penetrative sex yeah, life, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely fine. Except Henry did, did see it as a problem. I'm yeah. using Henry's language there to say it's a problem. Well, and interestingly... Want to. That's the problem with him. Yeah, and interestingly, you mentioned looking not doing well, and maybe that challenged people, because actually, suddenly, I just suddenly remembered then, there was that whole scene with Patrick being accused of having bottom shame. Yeah, yeah, great, wasn't it? Do you great. remember? Which oh, I was sitting there thing. saying it's stolen. That went out before Cucumber did, and I was sitting there with my head in my hands going, oh, please don't continue this conversation, because my entire show is about this. It's brilliant, wasn't it? But it's brilliant. a difficult conversation yeah, yeah, to yeah. talk about bottom shame. There will be a lot of people, a lot of gay men listening to this going, what are you talking about? Because it's not spoken about and not talked about, and and gay and straight people. I mean, is there a vagina shame for straight people? I don't think so. Is there? Maybe there is. No, but is I think there? a lot of women in particular are made to feel ashamed of their sexual desires. Yes, that's true. You know, um, men aren't. How the straight men aren't? That's very true. Well, I wonder if they are. I wonder if they are though. Because yes, there are. This world is full of middle-aged men dying for a blowjob who haven't got the nerve to ask their wife for it, isn't it? These are, these are not exclusively gay problems. It's, this shame thing to do with sex is, is everyone. And so Henry was an extreme example of that. The, the, to be honest, the bravest thing I did with that entire series was the entire series made sense in its last line. 
In the last line, after eight hours, someone said, well, what's your problem, Henry? And he said, being gay. Yeah, and yeah. the whole eight hours, honestly, if you watch it properly, it goes clunk and makes sense. Maybe if I'd said that in the first episode, people would have gone, oh, right, I get his problem now. I'll watch his life. Was I took a deep breath and revealed it right at the end, which is still my favourite last line ever, but I don't know, I wonder. So actually, yeah, so that was the brilliant thing, that you were looking at these people who were accepted at work, they were totally accepted in society, but deep down they still Doesn't had these roots of shame that I couldn't get it. Yes. Yeah. And it's specific, you know, it is Henry's age, it's a... But also, it was kind of sort of saying, right, we're equal now. I mean, we're not discussing equality. Of course, I know it's not that simple. But let's say we're equal now. And um, let's look at our sexual problems, because we've got a lot of them. And they're fascinating, and they're funny as well. You get great material out of it. You get great arguments between people. I love that. And I, I think all those things are true. I think people didn't... I think either people didn't believe they were true. Maybe I wrote it badly, so people didn't see it as true. Or they don't know it's true. They literally don't recognise those problems. Right, so interestingly, talking about problems, one of my favourite things you've ever done was that one episode of Cucumber, which was just Lance's story. Yes, It was yes. fucking unbelievable. Thank you. That's the one that won a BAFTA. That's, that's, it was uh, yeah, absolutely yeah. unbelievable. But the big message of that is... <laughs> homophobia and these horrible reactions from people still exist. There yes. is still a problem. So again, that, you know, we've come out of this horrible, traumatic, shared past mm. and we all want to kind of get on with, oh, isn't everything lovely now? And actually what you're doing there, again, is bringing up another problem and giving us a challenging watch. Yes, yes, you yes. You know, something that we might not want to confront. And what's hard about that is that, because it's, it's very easy to write a drama saying, here's a nice gay man, a terrible thing happens to him, poor gay man. And actually, that's a very tough piece of work because Lance walks into it because Lance fancies that man. Yeah, and actually, yeah, 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 yeah. every warning, so we've all met those dangerous men. I, can, we I, just, I, can we just explain who the man is just in case people haven't seen it? So he's yes. a hot straight man. He's a hot straight man called Daniel but who is not just straight and, yeah. and clearly over the over the episode they've masturbated together or, or yeah. they, they, and he cock teases him at first it's, been, it's gone beyond cock teasing into and there's been even a nice little moment one nice thing he said to him um God, we've met these men, haven't we, a million times. Big it's time. Like, I've got offered a few it's, of them. It's, well, exactly. <laughs> and I think sometimes we're lucky to get out of the flat alive. That's, yeah, you know, absolutely. It's, it's like, we've all had those moments yes. when we can see how, and we can see it can tip over yeah. that dark thing underneath sexual desire, and it can be kind of we've terrifying those about with ourselves. Gay men. With gay men. Yeah. They're not always they're yeah, 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 straight yeah. men. I mean, technically, you could say that Daniel is, is a gay man. Um, yeah. it's, and but he's actually, so yeah. repulsed by his gayness. Yes, exactly. That he, it, it's, it's a gay panic. I mean, well, gay panic is a terrible phrase and not allowable in the court anymore. But um, it, it, it's taking that story of a gay panic and examining it. And the hard thing about that, this is really, it was a hard drama, is that all the signs are there for Lance. And one point a ghost appears and warns Lance to go home. Yeah. It's like it couldn't Hazel. be the ghost of Hazel from Ghost Folk actually stands there and tells him to go home and he ignores everything because he fancies him. Because that's our... And engine, yeah. that's our downfall, that's our magnificent driving spirit and then that awful urge to have sex. <laughs> but also, somewhere underneath that urge is that really dark thought that, are you a, do you want to have sex with him because you know he yes. hates you and yes. actually he might punish you yes. because you've... And you that know. arrogant thought that once he has sex with me, he'll be gay and yeah. we'll be together. I think it's a romantic thought behind Lance in there. He's not being dumb. By describing us, I don't mean he's dumb. I just mean he's full of daft hopes and dreams and contradictions like we all are. And that's why the entire episode tells the, it tells the story of Lance. It starts with Lance's birth, that episode, and goes all the way up to his death because it's the story of an entire man's yeah. life. Yeah, and yeah. you watch him 
the hard thing about it, you watch him the entire episode making compromises all his life. He doesn't stand up and make much of a fight. He's not a particularly political animal. He has a nice life. He puts up with a non-penetrative relationship with his He's husband for nine years. He yeah. doesn't confront, which everyone says. Oh, everyone in this says, "Oh, lovely Lance, lovely Lance, and what a nice man, lovely Lance." Actually, Lance, you should stand up. You should have walked out of that flat. You should be more. You should be stronger. Because it's tough and there are awful things waiting out there for you if you're not tough. And then he gets that awful ending, which awful. we won't yeah. reveal. But I remember at the time literally feeling like I'd been winded watching it. It was yeah. such a shock. I had, Even though you yes. kind of could see it coming, like you say, the signs were there. It's hard transmitting that stuff sometimes. I've got, I'll go into detail, I've got a friend who's got a, um, a trans daughter. She's very young, actually, she's about 14. And so you transmit that, uh, she was in hysteria over it. I, I genuinely upset her. To a profound degree, and bless her dad. He says, "You can." You, I mean, nights of crying, nights of distress over what happened to that lovely man when she's trying to find her place in the world. As he wasn't having to go at me; he was, he was just telling me what a valid reaction was. That's hard, isn't it? Um, okay, so I said Queer as Fuck was the big one because for me it is, but yes. maybe Doctor Who is the big one. Yes, I wonder what's on my tombstone. I hope it's Queer as Folk. Can I say? Oh, interesting. I, love. I hope interesting. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, because uh, simply because. Other people before me and other people after me will write Doctor Who. That's not mine, whereas Queer as Folk is mine. So all these people before you who wrote Doctor Who, what was it about it when you were growing up oh, that... And gosh. how much did your sexuality come into play? It's, it's interesting, because here I am having worked on the programme for what feels like 10 years, and I still can't quite answer that. I simply loved it. It's, it's like, you might as well ask me why I love chicken or why I love chips or why I love sunshine. Because Doctor Who's been there since I was born. It was always there, and I just... I. I don't know. I think it's fun. I think it's melodramatic. I love melodrama. I think, um, you know, I'm in danger of doing a gay podcast, so I'm kind of going to put this through a gay filter. We love a gay filter. We love a gay filter. Um, but, but there are plenty of straight people who love Doctor Who. I love, I love, I love the fact, I, it's an extraordinary lead character who doesn't have a job. He's not, he hasn't got a boss saying, have you stopped those Daleks yet, Doctor? No, I'll do, I'm busy. He doesn't answer to anyone. He doesn't make taxes. He doesn't live anywhere. He just wanders the universe and every time he opens that door, it's an adventure. Don't you wish life was like that? That's why I don't like Star Trek. It is, darling. It is for you. <laughs> is. No, Star Trek, not. they're all working for the military. Who wants to join the military? Oh, I've never, never been to Star doing Trek. That. No, no. And I do like Star Trek in all sorts of ways. I think it's a great show, but I'd never imagined that life. Whereas I think the Doctor lives a life you can imagine yourself leading. And the show has that magic option of sort of saying, I mean, I can't imagine joining Star Trek because I never could. It simply won't happen. If, if that Federation was real, I'm in the wrong century. Because the marvellous thing about Doctor Who is that TARDIS door opens. It's like a door opening into your street. It's like where I could walk home from school. I could leave this podcast now and the TARDIS could arrive and take me off on an adventure. It so, can happen. Okay, so did you think you could step into that world on any level whatsoever because... You understood that you were different, you were gay, and that you understood that the Doctor would have been a friendly, welcoming face. I think I loved it before I had any sexual thought. Whatsoever. I did. I loved it at three. It's one of my earliest memories. I was three, and I can remember episodes that no longer exist in the archive. So then as my sexuality arrived, maybe I made it fit into the programme. I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I, I, I simply, I remember fancying boy companions like Adric. That that came along, but that didn't feel like it. Didn't feel like I was. It, it was a, a gay statement to which I was agreeing. Well, no, but I mean, coming in from the outsider perspective, I would, would look at the doctor and say, I mean, it's difficult to put everything through a gay filter, but he's somebody who stood up against. Um, I'm talking the past tense. Um, you know, he stands up against bullies, mm. who um, always when he comes up against these different races who might seem a bit weird and hostile he always treats him with respect he's always accepting tolerant he fights against injustice and I'll tell you what at the same time also he's funny that's a key thing Captain Kirk isn't funny um, yeah, but it's yeah. not Buffy in herself isn't funny dare I criticise but she's not funny she's, she has a sense of humour she's not funny the Doctor's funny at his best and I think the programme is at its worst when it forgets to be funny and um, it's a crucial thing I'm going back to those gay boys I loved when I was when I was 13 the ones who were funny in the room and they're the ones you want to yeah, be with yeah, comes yeah. To, sitting there when I was a little kid loving Larry Grayson I won't hear all these arguments about how terrible Larry Grayson was I loved him well, we, we, loved I him. mean Larry Grayson we didn't kind of get what was going on a lot did we at the time no, but, what we were missing. He had, a friend, he had a friend called Everard. Yeah. <laughs> what we were missing is extraordinary. Um, and, and I'm not putting Doctor Who in a camp tradition there. I'm just, I'm just sort of saying that, um, um, just bringing down literature to a sense of humour, saying he was funny. Well, he, oh, he, was, he was a quirky oddball who didn't quite, oh, stood outside society. I always think that if you look at his relationship with his female companions. It was always an asexual one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I would say... That was safe. It was a safe space. Yeah. So actually, if if you were thinking, if you as a young boy were thinking, oh, why don't I fancy girls? And you might be kind of alienated by that sexual tension between them. It just wasn't there. I know that's true, actually, because you are right, because that pushed me away from Captain Kirk, for example. He's snogged a woman. And you do that when you're a kid anyway. It's gay or straight, you go, oh, snogging, when you're you're eight or so. Or boys, hey, oh, she's a girl. Yeah, 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 a little bit of that. And so so that exists anyway, again, not just a gay thing. Um, But yes, that does exist to the door. And I do think, if I'm going to be bold, I kind of think Doctor Who has problems. Doctor, The old Doctor Who, it was cheap. It was kind of a little bit cardboard. It was kind of a little bit made on the fly. It was it was mad, mad monsters, daft, you know, bloody dustbins with plungers would appear as the monster. It takes a lot of nerve and a lot of work to love Doctor Who. I think I'm going to be really bold now is that you've got to be cleverer than the normal viewer. You've got to take more of a risk. You've got to invest in it because you need to fill the spaces in it. You need to fill those gaps where it's looking cheap or it's looking poor. It should make more sense. You fill that. It's a very imaginative act to watch Doctor Who. And I think gay people are better and cleverer and more imaginative than anyone else. Yeah, but I'm I'm feeling slightly bad and not... I'm, I'm feeling you like took not, that very well. You no, I'm feeling that. like not a very good gay person now I because know. I loved Star Wars growing up. Oh, right. But I, what yes. I couldn't do is watch the brilliant effects of Star Wars and then go to the cardboardy thing of Doctor Who. You were lacking, Matt. I was you lacking. Need, you need it. I, didn't like... put, I didn't put the effort in. So we've concluded I'm a better gay than you are. <laughs> <laughs> can I own the magazine now? Can I, <laughs> can I have the cover? Give me the cover. <laughs> but you're absolutely right about imagination and gay men. We've, you know, if you think about the creative gay men over the years, there's always been a tradition of whether it's Hans Christian Andersen, Tchaikovsky, yeah. you know, whoever, Michelangelo, escaping problems in their own life 
um, through the act of creation mm. and escapism. And, and there is that, there is that size, that grandiosity to camp, to genuine camp, to camp with a capital Susan Sontag camp, the, the, the way we all love Douglas Sirk films, Imitation of Life and things like that, when it gets that size and that melodrama. We, again, we have more nerve, we love that stuff. It's very easy to go, oh, that's too big, that's too silly, I'm going to turn away and watch the football. We can Fine. Im- yeah, go and watch yeah, the football, yeah. leave us to have a great time with this brilliant stuff. Leave us to imagine other worlds. Yeah. Something we've always done, like you say, we've maybe we had to, maybe there's, you know, um, negative reasons behind that, but it's a positive there's thing a th- that we've had those... There's a thrilling, and I think still unresearched level on which culturally, on which, on which gayness exists almost telepathically. Between, it's like you can, you can be eight years old and living in Swansea or Minnesota or the South Pole, you could, if you're not, and you could not be online and never met or heard of another gay man and the Wizard of Oz could come on yeah, and, uh, and you connect with it on a really profound level. Not every one of us, there's plenty of gay men rolling their eyes now saying, I don't like that camp I stuff. I love it. I don't like Judy Gar. But that, that, the fact that some people don't like that stops looking at this phenomenon in, in, with absolute seriousness, actually. What is it that thrills and vibrates in the soul of an eight-year-old gay boy and attracts us to the same material so that you can grow up and go to a big city. And when you do grow up and go to the big city, the first few years of being in that big city, you'll sit with your new gay friends and go, oh, I love that film. Oh, I love that bit. Oh, I love her. I love that. And you find this great big common language that has grown through no commonality. It has simply existed almost telepathic, like a vibration it's so between weird, us. Isn't, isn't it, it strange? Yeah, yeah, it's innate. It's in, it makes you believe in the soul, in, in, in something that's fundamentally us. And it's amazing. It's, it's, what is that? What is Do you that? Think it's like part, the DNA. I don't get Well, and also, we should, be, we should say that, um, you know, not every gay man did. Oh, absolutely. And I wonder if partly it was because we were so starved of um, representations of ourselves. Yeah. Um, on screen, that we had to find it in through avatars, through big yeah. bold women and stuff like that. Do you know what I mean? I agree with all that. Women. I absolutely agree with that. But I still think, I still think that that's like the psychological seminar hindsight view of things. I still think the reaction, our thrill when we saw that film, when we saw Judy Garland, when we saw Kylie, is deeper than that. I think it's genetic. It's it's strange, isn't it? It's, do you think it's still? Do you think now that there's gay characters on Corey, and every time you watch Gogglebox or Bear Calf, there's gay characters. Do you think that kind of impossible to articulate connection? Yes. You know, that deepness because, because, will go because. Uh, I do. I still think, yes, I still think there'll be a child sitting there in Aberdeen. And I mean at eight, I mean, before you're sexualized, these things, or sexual, the, these things happen. It, that's when it happens. It, before you've gone through puberty, that's when these things grab hold of you. So I think, yes, there's a boy in Aberdeen right now who's not online, who's not, who hasn't read Aptitude, who's completely, who doesn't even watch Coronation Street and see Anthony Cotton. So actually, he doesn't have particularly gay references in his life, and he'll watch some film or hear some record, and he'll be thrilled. And the word is thrilled. But isn't it brilliant that when that boy does turn on Cory now or Gogglebox, yes. he can see oh, Anthony Cotton? Yes, you know, and um, have these positive yes. representations. Oh, it's a, what a different world! Absolutely, still he can still grow up in Aberdeen and be desperately lonely and beaten up. But it's but there are new stories happening now. Exactly of 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 parents saying, "Come out, love. Come out, Hamish." <laughs> it's all going to be fine. It's amazing. Although, it's still not brilliant. Do you know, it's like we fall into the trap sometimes because of the soaps, because yes. of the presence of the gay characters in the soaps, we fall slightly into the trap. I get said this. It's like, why do you still bother doing gay dramas? It's like uh, the, of, of thinking that we're everywhere. We are not. 
there's still we're, we're sitting on a load of two thousand years of literature in which we don't exist. But um, isn't it interesting that there's still you know you look at all these soaps, there's still relatively few dramas in which gays are. are I mean, there was London Spy last year in terms yeah, of gays yeah. being central characters. There's a few coming up this year for the fiftieth anniversary, but gays are for life, not it's... just for anniversaries. <laughs> no, you know. no, it's true. You control through vast hours of television, and and it's the back catalogue that worries me. It's it, it's it's like those those thousand film and movies are worse than anyone. Movies are the worst. It's like television is way ahead of movies. And you can sit through the 5,000 movies on Sky Movies and not find a gay character. Where in the Marvel Universe, please, is there going to be someone gay at any point? Oh, I know. Tell it's me like, that. And, 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 Deadpool and, doesn't cut it. It's no, not it's quite... It's not gay. And, you know, and thank you, Pixar. I adore Pixar films. But we did not need that Ken in Toy Story 3 being so camp and so glittery and so unnecessary. You don't need that. It's cheeky. Yeah, you yeah, can yeah. do better than that. All the gay men working on those films, come on, do a better job. So there's, there's, you know, we're sitting on the works of Dickens and Shakespeare. You can look at Shakespeare and say Oberon and Puck were gay. No, they were not, actually. You're putting a modern reading onto it. These things are devoid of gayness. Our vast back culture of, of, of literature, which is a wonderful thing to have in a society, is, is devoid of us. We don't exist. Our men and our women are not in there. And I really think that one of the biggest pleasures of drama or fiction of any kind is the opportunity it gives us to step into the life of somebody who's different to us, whether it's different sexuality, different background, different nationality, different mm. age. Mm. And actually by experiencing those things through their eyes, yes. we become more empathetic. It's what I wanted to do with, because we speak about Cucumber, but it had, it had that second series called Banana. Yes, on E4, absolutely. Which was exactly that. That had even more of a death. You see, that was, that was, that was the first trans... Uh, Bethany Black, my lovely friend, oh, yeah, played yeah, the yeah. first trans actor playing a trans the character. The sex tape. As a regular show, the, the sex tape. In the world, she was the first trans uh, on, on terrestrial television. Um, uh, and it had stories about Nigerian girls being sex trafficked. It had uh, it, working class young lesbians. No one watched it. Matt, no. I watched it, it, darling. I watched the whole series. One of the viewing figures for that was one of the lowest things I've ever. I think one of them was watched by 60,000 people. Yeah, but it was only four of us, wasn't it? I know, but I could go around their houses and tell those people what was going to happen instead of transmitting it. So, again, interesting. Um, It wasn't wanted. Interesting. But maybe that's because maybe it's a different world now. Maybe we're an online world now. It's like we're we're talking about a world in which I am presuming come and watch this trans drama and learn about trans people. Actually, you don't need the drama telling you that. We're online. It's my mate. She's come out of work. And it's like, if the world is that maybe we don't need these dramas anymore. Well, apart from the fact that you could say that about any drama, you don't watch any drama to learn about a person. You want to experience their emotions. And actually, by doing so, you become a better person. Society functions better because everybody in society understands yes. other people. I wonder if you hit the nail on the head though when you talked about learning, that, that you go to learn about these people's lives and they come and learn about this transaction. I think one of that puts people off. That yeah. Actually, I will learn. I'm online now. I can find out about these people's lives under my own steam. Oh, this drama's going to, I'm going to learn from this drama? No thanks. I'll go and watch the one that's fun. But shall I tell you what? You have in several of your pieces of work taught people maybe you know without it being the teaching part being so explicit you have taught people about lives they may not have been familiar with you You know do you feel proud of that achievement oh immensely i know i've sat here and niggled about stuff and i blow my own trumpet as well but oh god i'm happy (laughs) 
I am. And I feel like I've got a million more things to say as well. That's the. It's funny now. I'm 53 now. And I, for the first time, you begin to realize, oh, I will die before I've said everything I want to say. I've never realized that before, and I will. But 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 no, it, I'll just keep working faster. Thank you very much. Um, but so no, I know how lucky I am. I know how many writers would give their eye teeth to be in my position, gay and straight. So I feel very lucky. But and I genuinely do feel proud of what I've done. Good. Well, get on with it, please, darling. Saying Thank all you. these other things you want to say, because some of us want to hear them. <laughs> if I write that drama about a sexually deviant magazine editor, you'll be <laughs> first to be cast. Don't worry. <laughs> Russell, thank you very much. Thank you. Sexually deviant? I don't know what he's talking about. The supremely talented Russell T. Davis there. I did tell you he could talk. I hope you enjoyed listening. This has been the third Attitude Heroes podcast and you can still listen to my chats with Ian McKellen and Paul O'Grady if you haven't yet had the chance. These podcasts are sponsored by the Great Britain Campaign, which welcomes the world to visit, do business, invest and study in the UK. Check out their website at great.gov.uk. And welcome to our second and new sponsor, Jaguar. We'll talk more about their partnership later in the series. But for now, you can visit jaguar.co.uk for more product information. Please remember to subscribe if you haven't done so already. And we'd love it if you could leave a rating or a review, as it all helps spread the word. I'll be back with news of my next guest in a couple of weeks. For now, thanks again for listening. 